0: garden on ashley down when he took her by the hand come see what our father will do he led her into a long dining room the plates and cups and bowls were on the table there was nothing on the table but empty dishes there was no food in the larder no money to supply the need The children were standing, waiting for breakfast. Children, you know we must be in time for school, said Mueller. Then, lifting his hand, he prayed and said, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. According to the account, a knock was then heard on the door, and the baker stood there. Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at two o'clock and baked some fresh bread, and I have brought it. Mueller thanked the baker and praised God for his care of children. He said, we not only have bread, but the rare treat of fresh bread. Almost immediately, there came a second knock at the door. This time, it was the milkman who announced that his milk cart had broken down outside the orphanage, and that he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it comes from Roger Steer's Delighted in God. George Mueller was a man who was known and whose life was marked by a confident faith in the Lord. And in this story, although there was no food on the table, he prayed and he thanked God for it. On, All right. He prayed and he thanked God for it. And he and the kids of the orphanage were provided for How could he do that? Was he, was he being presumptuous? Was he being entitled? No. George Mueller just knew what kind of God he served and worshipped, and he trusted that the Lord would provide for him. And as we look at Psalm 21 today, we will see that King David, who wrote this psalm, has that same kind of confident faith. Because he trusts that God will deliver him from his enemies. And so the big idea for my message today is that true confidence comes, or true confidence in God means trusting in who he is. True confidence in God means trusting in who he is. Psalm 21 is the second half of a pair. The first half, Psalm 20, is a cry for help. It's this desperate request from the king to the Lord for military victory in battle. And if you can remember, all the way back to a month or more ago when Aaron preached from Psalm 20, he said something really important that applies here as well. He said that Psalm 21 was not written about you, but it was written for you. What that means is as we read this psalm today we need to keep in mind that we don't necessarily draw a straight line from everything we see here to our lives today. We don't replace the words the king in this psalm with our own names. This is a confident declaration that God has promised to deliver David from his enemies and give him this military victory. And as far as I know I don't think that applies to any of you today. However... It was written for us. We see that Psalm 20 ends with, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And so as we look at Psalm 21 today, we'll see the answer to that request. King David in Psalm 21 has placed his trust in the Lord, confident that victory will come. So would you please read with me Psalm 21 1 all the way down to 13 to the choir master a psalm of david o lord in your strength the king rejoices and in your salvation how greatly he exalts you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the requests of his lips selah for you meet him with rich blessings and you set a crown of fine gold upon his head he asked life of you You gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies, and your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, and though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. If you were following along, you might have noticed a pretty drastic shift in tone and in content about halfway through. Uh, We'll begin by zooming in on the first half, verses 1 to 7, where we see how the Lord blesses those who trust in him. When it comes to looking at the ways that the Lord blesses those who trust in him, I think it's helpful to distinguish between material blessing and eternal blessing. Or, in other words, what we experience now in this life and what we will or what can be experienced forever. And so what are the ways in verses 1 to 7 that the Lord blesses this king? Well, in verse 1, we see that the king is rejoicing. He's given joy in the salvation and strength of the Lord. In verses 2 and 3, he's been given his heart's desire, the request of his lips. He's been met with rich blessings and given a, fine, a, a crown of fine gold on his head. Verse 4, we see he's been given eternal life. He asked life of you and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. Verse 5, he has received glory, splendor, and majesty From the Lord in 6 and 7, again we see that he is glad with the joy of the presence of God. He's received the steadfast love of the Most High and a confidence that he will not be moved. Every single thing that David lists here, he attributes to God giving it to him. Notice all the you's and the yours in these verses. In your strength, in your salvation, you have given him his heart's desire. You meet him with rich blessings. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. You make him most blessed. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. How many kings, queens, world leaders today do you think could attribute all of these things to God? With the recent death of, of Queen Elizabeth, I, I don't know of any. How many CEOs and supervisors and business managers, business owners, do you think would truly and honestly say that everything that I have, my position, my, my wealth, all of this authority that I've been given comes to me from, from God's gracious blessing on my life? How many of us here in this room can say that we think that way, that we really rejoice in the strength of the Lord, that we have been met with rich blessings, not because of our hard work or our financial prowess or our intelligence or our charm, but because God has given it to us. Of course, I can ask you these things, and you, and you know what I want you to say. You know what the answer is. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It's God. God has given me everything. I'm, I'm so thankful. He's responsible for my life and, and my finances, my family. But when, but, but when it really comes down to the day-to-day, to the moment-by-moment, do you truly actually believe that these gifts come from god or are you tempted to congratulate yourself on on building a good life for yourself i know i know for me it's it's so easy to pat myself on the back and the reality of my utter dependence on the lord for absolutely everything in life doesn't even cross my mind And, and what if you don't have much right now what if uh, your bank account is is a little thin or family relationships are rocky at best and life seems to be going downhill do you do you default to try to trying to strong arm your way back to the good life or do you turn to the lord for help and for comfort look again at verses 2 and 3 it says you have given him his heart's desire. You've not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings and a crown of fine gold upon his head. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see these these phrases, these words, heart's desire, or request of his lips, rich blessings? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think that usually our minds tend to go to material things, just a bit more money, or that my kids would do well in school or that i would be happy those aren't bad things to ask for and in this psalm uh, like we've mentioned that david is actually asking for something material here he's asking for for military victory he's not asking for something you know super spiritual like uh, the salvation of his kids or for more wisdom he's asking that the lord would help him to win this battle And yet it is so easy to cherry pick these verses, these phrases that catch our attention and and read them and interpret them out of context of this psalm. We miss that David is attributing all of this to God. And reading this psalm, you can just feel the confidence and the faith and the trust that he has in the Lord, or in other words, his priorities are in order, As I read through this, I don't get the sense that he's thinking of God as some sort of cosmic vending machine where he puts in a little bit of prayer and then the things that he needs come out. No, he knows that deep down in the bottom of his heart that the Lord is trustworthy and worthy of exalting in first and foremost, no matter if he gets these blessings and these requests given to him or not. But, but it, again, it is so easy for us to put the gifts before the giver. We can easily slip into thinking that if, you know, I just trust God more, if I just have a bit more faith, then, then God should reward me for that, right? Listen to this section from a statement of faith of, of a fairly large, well-known church in the U.S. that I, I believe does this. It says, we believe that as a part of Christ's work of salvation, it is the Father's will for believers to become whole, healthy, and successful in all areas of life, spiritual, mental and emotional, physical, and financial. It's so tempting to get lost in all of the things that we want and need and that make Our life a little bit easier it's so easy to get lost in these things these material things and miss out on the giver you know you know we we do believe that god wants what is best for us but the thing is that we don't know what's best for us this statement of faith uses human metrics like finances to determine what success looks like but that is not necessarily what God's view of success is too often the gifts that we've been given can distract our hearts from the giver and then we miss the mark we love the new stuff more than the new life and and why is that well I, I think it's because trust is hard work it's difficult to trust in other people because it leaves us vulnerable And open, it can be hard to trust a God that we don't see. Man, if I'm not even willing to trust people in my own life, how am I supposed to trust Him? Maybe your prayer life feels dull and unresponsive, or your faith doesn't feel tangible. How am I supposed to trust God when I feel like this? Well, uh, I know what that feels like. A number of years ago, when I was in my third year of Bible college, I I went through this kind of spiritual depression, I guess. Um, I I didn't really have any desire to pray. I uh, avoided reading the Bible, except when it came to getting my homework done. I didn't really have much motivation to do anything at all. And uh, if you took a look at my life with the notable exception that i was you know physically in a christian school uh, there wasn't much to distinguish my life from any other uh, secular student at, at laurier for example and i began to feel like guilty and then this desperation and and depression uh, where i was questioning my faith my faith felt dead and and i did too and so it can be so tempting uh, to get lost in these things. I lost my way. What was wrong with me? Why did I feel this way? How did I go from being on fire for Jesus and more consistent in my devotional life than I'd ever been? I'd loved learning about him. How did I go from this like awesome place in my life to wondering if I was even a Christian anymore? Well, looking back, I can see a number of factors, but the short of it is that Christ stopped being the priority of my life. As I I went on, I began to uh, take him for granted. I loved learning about him more than I loved him. I loved being a church guy more than I loved him. I loved my little bit of Bible college money and guitar gear and things more than I loved Christ. And as those eternally irrelevant things began to creep into my heart and crowd out Jesus. I lost trust in the Lord because my trust was placed in the wrong things. And then my confidence was lost. That my faith was real. Look, I don't know your life. I don't know what state you find yourself in right now. But if you are in a place where trusting in God seems like a nice Christian-y phrase uh, that doesn't actually describe the default position of your heart, then I want to suggest that it is worth doing a kind of audit on your life. To see whether or not there are some things, some rich blessings that you have received from the Lord that excite you more than he does. One of the things that kind of kick-started me to get out of that spiritual depression was by reading The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there was a part in the book where Christian, the main character, winds up stuck in the slough of Despond. A mucky, sticky, gross swamp that he cannot get out of. And the imagery was just so relatable to how my heart was feeling. And as I read on, I was encouraged that there was a way out of this slough of despond that my soul felt trapped in. And so I encourage you to read stories like the Pilgrim's Progress or another that has really spoken to me has, has been parts of St. Patrick's Confessions. Biographies of people like George Mueller, who I, I read that story about at the beginning, are powerful as well. There is also so much power and help in, in just sharing our own stories with each other to encourage and heal. Prayer is another even more powerful tool that we often underutilize in times like that. We we have to pray that the Lord would increase our faith, that he would help us to worship him and him alone, that he would remove idols and sins from our life that keep us from being able to truly say that we trust him completely. Yes, the Lord blesses those who trust in him, but we need to make sure that our trust is truly in him, and him alone, and not the blessings that we have received from him. As so we move on to verses 8 to 12. We will see here that the Lord will destroy those who hate him. Let's read those verses one more time. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight, and you will aim at their faces with your bows. Really, this is is the opposite of what we've just been talking about. And what I see here is that there's no fence sitting when it comes to a life of faith. There's no middle ground. It's hard to miss the, uh, the imagery of hell in verse 9. Uh, with uh, You will make them as a blazing oven. Fire will consume them. Please do not hear these words and discount them as something that was just written for David's political enemies. A long time ago. This is real. One day you will die and you will go to one of two places and one you will receive a crown and to put it in David's words, length of days forever and ever. Eternal life where you won't be able to escape an overwhelming joy even if you tried. The other place is a place of torment, the Bible describes, where fire will consume like a blazing oven, it says here. Instead of everlasting joy and life, it's a place of eternal sorrow and death. This is what is coming for those who choose to reject the Lord. Something that I think is really important to notice here in these verses is that all this language of, of judgment justice is future future tense, you will, it says many times in 8 to 12. Why is that important? Why is the future tense important? Because in this small detail, we get just a glimpse at the heart of God. Some people think that somehow God in the Old Testament is this wrathful, Doom and gloom, hellfire and brimstone, kind of destroyer deity. And then, for whatever reason, he does a 180 and grows a heart once Jesus is born. But that's not true at all. Of course, what we see here is bad news. He will find out his enemies, he will destroy their descendants from the earth. But not yet. Over and over again throughout all of Scripture, we see this description of the Lord as well. That he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so God is not chomping at the bit to go and wipe out anyone who rejects him. He's not anxious to punish people for offending him. And if you believe that, you haven't understood the heart of God. God. Look, God is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And if he chose to, at any moment, at this very moment, end it all, or even if he chose to do that thousands of years ago when David wrote this psalm, he would be completely within his rights to do so. And it would be perfectly just and good. But instead, he's chosen to be patient with his creation, with the people that he's created in his own image. The people that have rejected him, that have worshipped idols made of stone and wood. Motherboards wrapped in aluminum and glass. These people have accused him of being evil. They've disobeyed the laws that he set in place for their own good. He has chosen to be patient with these people. You and me and the rest of the world to give us opportunity, time, more time than we deserve to repent and believe and put our trust in him alone, to find joy in him alone. Friend, if, if you have never done this, if you have never chosen to put your trust in the Lord, choose today to do that. It's not too late. But one day it will be. None of us know how much time we have left. I, I work at a funeral home as well, and this afternoon I'm going to work at a funeral for a young woman who's younger than I am. We we just we don't know. So so how how do you do this? How how do we trust the Lord? How do we trust in Jesus Christ as savior? Well, we need to believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior who died on the cross for your sin. That he faced death and took on the full punishment of the wrath of God. And he didn't just die, but as he was crucified, he was the sole receiver of all of the wrath of the Father. The wrath that should have gone to us. Like it's described in verses 8 to 12. Then you believe that he's Lord. You turn to him. You turn from your sin to commit to following his will for your life. And if you have any more questions about this thing, this way that we trust in the Lord for salvation, I would encourage you to come talk to me after the service or to the person who brought you here. Trust in him today. It's not too late, but one day it will be. Listen, a life spent apart from the Lord, outside of, of the will of God, is just a sad waste of time. It says in verse 11 though they de- plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. Again, this is in direct reference to David's enemies planning against God and his people. But if we're just doing our own thing, if we're just living our own lives however we want to, making our own rules. We're not all that different from these, whoever this is uh, that David is warring against. A life spent outside of the will of God is inherently one making plans that are against him. There is no fence sitting when it comes to faith. You are either for Christ or against him. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 12. Whoever is not with me is against me. A life spent outside of the will of God, will not succeed. It'll be a waste of time that will only end in hopelessness. However, that's not the only way to live. And as we saw in the first seven verses of Psalm 21, and as we're about to see again, there is a life that can be full of confident joy in the Lord. Let's read the last verse together. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing... And praise your power. So point three is that the Lord is exalted by those who trust in him. The strength of God is something that is absolutely terrifying for his enemies. But for those of us who are sinners saved by grace. Former enemies who have been brought close to him. Who have been reconciled. We are his people and we get to rejoice in the strength of the Lord. And we get to sing his power. His strength is something that can and should fill us with confident hope because there is no one who can defeat him he is omnipotent that means all powerful and as his people his power his strength is our joy and our confidence no matter what life may bring whether it's physical enemies as david is facing here in this psalm or anything else we are on the side of the most powerful being in existence yahweh god Romans 8.31, a very famous verse says this, Then what what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one, nothing. Satan and his entire gaggle of demons could not leave a scratch on God on his worst day if he even had bad days. As, As his people, we exalt his strength, we sing, And praise his power. This is something that we can do now. We've already done it this morning. And something that we will do forever. As verse 4 says. God has given his people length of days forever and ever eternal life. And for the rest of eternity we will glorify the Lord. And exalt him in his strength. And not just his strength. But every aspect of every attribute. That makes him so worthy of our worship. The crazy thing is that for the rest of eternity we will never run out of things to praise him for. God is infinite and every single part of his character is too. That means if if we even chose one, one aspect of his character, for example, his strength, his power, we could never cross everything off the list of things to worship him for related to his power. And that's just One attribute what about his love or his kindness or his wrath or his goodness or his creativity or his eternality or his transcendence or his imminence or his graciousness or his peace we could go on for a long time naming all of these different attributes of god and every single one of those attributes has an infinite number of things an infinite number of facets that we will worship him for You will not get bored in eternity, but you will be truly, profoundly, and eternally happy to praise him. Psalm 84 verse 4 says that blessed are those, or how happy are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And so, No matter how much you obtain in this life, no matter how much wealth you accumulate, or how many degrees you may get, or how good your kids' jobs are, no matter how many rich blessings you receive from the Lord, or how few, there will be a day when every man, woman, and child, every mighty king, every world leader, will bring all that they have and lay it at the foot of the greatest king. and His name is Jesus. He has been crowned with glory and honor and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He will establish a kingdom that will have no end. His kingdom will be called the new heavens and the new earth and he will invite all those who trust in him to join him there. For those who... For those who hated him, he will cast out into the lake of fire. But we as the church, who have been redeemed by grace alone, look forward to the day when we will enter in to the new heavens and new earth. As we look forward to that day, we can be filled with confident hope right now, trusting that God is who Psalm 21 and all of the Bible says he is. Because true confidence comes from trusting in who he is. So those of you who are disheartened, those of you who are scared, or lonely, or unsure, or lacking in faith, put your trust in the Lord. Meditate on his power, how he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Place your trust in who he says he is. Don't wait. You will be filled with a confidence that will carry you through to eternity where nothing else except the glory of the Lord will matter. True confidence in God means trusting in who he is. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for your word, for how the Psalms just get right into the deep and dark things that we don't necessarily like to think about or talk about. How they cause us to consider how great you are, how worthy you are of, of worship and praise. Lord, would you help us to keep you first would you help us to prioritize you if there are idols in our lives if there are things that we value more than you that we think about more than you that we get more excited about than you Lord, would you help us by your grace by your holy spirit to remove those idols from our lives and place you back where you belong you are the king of the universe and you are the king of our hearts We worship you today. Thank you for being a God who is gracious, who is merciful, who is slow to anger, who abounds in steadfast love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.